I am joined by Weston Nakamura, uh, who's an expert in Japanese finance, all things finance, but particularly <laughs> particularly uh, the Bank of Japan. Yo, Weston, this is your time to shine. Uh, my friend, former colleague, Weston, how are you doing? I'm wonderful, Jack. I don't know where I gained this expertise since the last time we were colleagues that you're assigning to me. Yeah, but, uh, I kind of I may have made up the term Japanese finance, <laughs> but you are an expert in all things finance, all things central banking. But uh, you do reside in Tokyo, and you, you have been following the Bank of Japan's back Bank of Japan's actions like a hawk or like a dove, depending on uh, your your, your uh, outlook. And uh, you know, people, you're being seen as a, as an expert in this, and I want to know what the hell is going on. So, Weston, we're recording 5 p.m. Eastern time on Tuesday, December 20th. Much earlier this morning, in fact, when it was Eastern Time, the 29th, uh, the Bank of Japan dropped. Uh, it, it just it really surprised the markets, shocked the markets. What did the Bank of Japan do, and why is it important? Sure. So, uh, do you want me to give you a background of what they've been doing and then what they did um, for context? Uh, tell me first what they did, and then okay. give the background. Yeah. What they did was they, the, the way in which they shocked markets was they um, essentially what they have is the yield curve control, which is a program that they've had for the better part of six years in which they are capping the long end, especially the 10 year tenor of the JGB curve at 25 basis points by doing unlimited purchases of um, JGBs, uh, essentially setting a floor on prices or a cap on the yield. And oh, uh, JGBs are Japanese government bonds. Yeah, sorry, go ahead. Japanese government bonds. Um, and so they they essentially have been putting, you know, capping, capping yields, and they've been fighting markets th this entire year. Um, and uh, markets and people who are trying to short the JGB market, often called widow makers because they just never win and they just continue to die and leave a, you know, ever-growing graveyard of widows. Um, or you know, spouses of widows uh, who shorted the JGB market um, because the Bank of Japan uh, is always able to kind of economically defy gravity, economic gravity, um, by continuously buying um, uh, against a very sort of aggressively ferocious market that's trying to attack them. Um, and so basically going into this December meeting, there wasn't the, the consensus, zero economists predicted this. The consensus was that like policy was going to be left unchanged for the 50th meeting in a row, essentially. And then you have Governor Kuroda, who is the, currently the longest running major central banker at the helm um, as we speak, um, who is about to finish up his record long term uh, as, the, as the head of the central bank of Japan. Uh, in February of 2023. So essentially two meetings left. So he's basically on his way out the door. He's kind of a lame duck, if you will, not going to change anything, not going to rock the boat. Uh, and then they make a change and they essentially expand the uh, band in which JGB yields, tenure yields are allowed to trade in, which effectively is a, a rate hike, if you will. Simultaneously, they also increased um, their scheduled monthly bond buying, JGB buying they're doing. So on one hand, you have what could be seen as a hawkish action, a surprise hawkish action. On the other hand, you see sort of, uh, you know, a countermeasure, if you will, of buying um, uh, of these very JGBs. Okay, there we go. 
And right, so the target for yield curve control is, correct me if I'm wrong, still zero. But now the band uh, with which it's acceptable to be plus or minus has been widened from 25 basis points to 50 basis points or 0.50%. So instead of hovering from a range of negative 25 basis points to 25 basis points, it now will hover between negative 50 basis points and 50 basis points. But because the pressure on yield is only one way going higher, that pretty much yields means that the yields will be capped at 50 basis points instead of 25 basis points. And that's why you say it's an effective rate hike. Uh, exactly. And that's exactly, you're, you're a very sharp guy, Jack. And that's exactly why uh, Governor Kuroda has been vehemently saying throughout the entirety of his press conference and will be saying ad nauseum, I'm sure, for right now as we speak, as he's brushing his teeth, um, that this is not a rate hike. And you know what? Technically, he's right, because a rate hike in sort of, you know, conventional monetary policy is done at the front end, Fed funds rate, you know, the, the policy rate, right? Right, so our overnight um, rate instead of 10-year yield, which is now he's talking about the 10-year yield. And and yeah, so basically central bankers, when they want to be doves, when they want to loosen monetary policy to stimulate the economy, they lower interest rates. And when they've done that no more to zero, I mean, you can go negative, but that's just setting that aside. Then you do quantitative easing, where you buy a ton of assets. And uh, Bank of Japan was the earliest experimenter with that in I think, you know, very early 2000s. Then when you've done so much quantitative easing, it has no more effect. Then, you know, uh, Japan does yield curve control where they basically buy an unlimited amount of assets so that the yields hover, uh, you know, they're saying, okay, if the yield goes to to 26 basis points, we're going to buy as much as possible until it goes down to 25 basis points. Um, So I I think Weston, yeah, and also, as you said, the Bank of Japan did this while expanding quantitative easing. So it's not purely a, a hawkish, not purely a pivot. By the way, Weston, I, I titled this before we started recording, The Bank of Japan Has Pivoted. So if you want to uh, take issue with the title, I, I, I'd love you to do that because uh, the word pivot is you know, sometimes overused, at least when talking about the Fed. So Weston, let's, let's go Just back to- a question mark after it and then you're fine. Yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. So the uh, Bank of Japan, why did the Bank of Japan do yield curve control? I think it was 2016. And yeah, and how did the, the range go from 10 basis points to 25 basis points to 50? Take us through the history. Man, you are asking the exact right questions. Okay, so um, if you recall that the, the U, there was kind of a narrative about two years ago uh, that the U.S. was potentially flirting with yield curve control um, and other potential central banks. And, and you have yield spread control happening in the, with the ECB. And then the Reserve Bank of Australia did yield curve control for about a year and a half before the front end blew up in their face and all that kind of thing. And they threw in the towel. All of those measures were done, those other yield curve controls were done um, in order to sort of, you know, cap yields because yields were were spiking due to inflation. The Bank of Japan embarked on yield curve control in 2016 in September because uh, they were trying to and are currently apparently still trying to generate inflation or uh, to get Japan out of three decades of deflation. Those are totally uh, completely polar opposite sort of objectives um, for yield curve control. So Bank of Japan, the reason that they started doing yield curve control is because when you're so QE is quantitative easing, QQE is quantitative and qualitative easing. QE is when it's quantitative easing, you're targeting a quantity. There's they were saying 80 trillion yen worth of or monetary based expansion. We're gonna we're gonna print 80 trillion yen worth of 
worth of yen, and we're going to purchase a trillion yen worth of assets uh, per year. And that's how they used to, to do it. And then instead of setting out that quantity in September of 2016, what they said was, okay, we're going to scrap that whole quantity thing. And instead of targeting a quantity, we're going to target a specific price level. And that price level is going to be 10-year JGBs at around zero. Um, and so if it goes up to, you know, if it starts to drift away from around zero, lower or higher, whatever it is, we, it, you know, let's say higher, we will step in and offer to buy an unlimited amount of JGBs and effectively create a wall, an impenetrable wall of, of buying because impenetrable because they have, you know, unlimited printing press. And so the market can throw whatever it's got at it. And theoretically that would cap JGB yields. And so that would mean, so that scraps the entire quantity thing. Um, and so if JGB yields just happen to trade around zero naturally, the Bank of Japan could potentially go the entire year without ever buying a single JGB. Uh, the problem is when you have a, um, you know, a surging global yield environment in which JGBs are not immune from, you are going to get uh, JGB yields to rise alongside. And when that happens and JGB yields rise to a certain level, which used to be 10 basis points, uh, plus or minus 10 basis points around zero, um, then they would step in and, and do what's called a fixed rate operation in which they offer to buy an unlimited amount of JGBs to cap yields at that specific sort of level. They moved that band sort of implicitly. Um, at, so it was first at like around, you know, plus minus 10 basis points, then to 20 basis points, then to 25 basis points. And then they put that in writing. And now it, it was that that was the level that they held firm on throughout 2022. And so the reason that you're seeing the yen get destroyed in 2022 um, is because of yield curve control in a rising global yield environment. Because currencies, by and large, what they their price action moves on are interest rate spreads between countries. So if the United States 10-year yield is rising and the 10-year JGB yield is capped and that yield spread differential continues to widen, then USD JPY will also move in tandem and widen. And so that's and so when, and when you see yields spiking in the United States because of inflation, because of you know hawkish Fed and all that and, and everywhere else as well, um, the uh, the yen gets destroyed. Um, and it gets destroyed at the expense of supporting the JGB market and this unlimited buying that they've been doing. And that's what they just removed. And that's why you're seeing three, four, five percent intraday moves in the yen today or yesterday. Right. So when yields rise globally because of inflation, because of central bank hiking, which some may argue is kind of the same thing, um, or you know, chicken and the egg, the pressure is for Japanese yields to rise as well. But if they're capped at 25 basis points, they can't uh, uh, rise. So people who want to sell, the only, the only way the pressure can go out through the system is through the currency. So the Japanese yen depreciates uh, massively against the dollar as well as other currencies. That's what we've seen this year. What was the purpose of uh, the Bank of Japan, Kuroda, the governor, uh, widening the spread now to 50 basis points? Why is he so keen to say it's not a hike? And also, maybe you can talk about the forced FX interventions that have happened uh, you know, uh -huh. over the summer. Sure. Um, so first of all, just regarding the short yen um, trade. So that has, for the better part of 2022, that has been the global macro trade um, of, of 2022. That's, it's a, that was essentially a Fed trade. Because what, you're, what you saw was 
normally typically what what rates traders do is that they would bet on where you know the fed funds rate where policy rates in the united states will be at what level at what sort of time or whatever it is right but because there's so much uncertainty with near term you know fed policy that you know traders have no idea what to expect of the fed like when you see a sunday you know uh wall street journal article that effectively was the fomc 75 basis point hike from mm -hmm. 50 um and stuff like that happening people don't know there's so much uh, implied volatility and, and uncertainty within um front end rates futures that it's kind of it's impossible almost to to bet on like a specific level and all that so what those traders have done instead is they said okay well the bet is now going to be a relative bet the fed is going to be hawkish we don't have to decide exactly how hawkish they are but let's just do a trade in which hawkish central bank versus a standstill dovish or like a policy unchanged central bank and that's the bank of japan and so therefore short the yen that's how that was expressed and that's why the shorting the yen became a massively crowded trade um and one that was ripe for uh getting short squeezed um so to answer your question first about this um the these these fx interventions uh as dollar yen started to really just kind of go on almost a run like a runaway like momentum tear upwards uh into three decade highs um and with really no end in sight because if boj is going to oh, sorry no worries no worries and by the way we're not cutting that because uh we're prioritizing timeliness so if it you know whatever happens happens so we're, no cuts uh so audience can get this on time weston go ahead and yeah turn off your phone and go ahead uh-oh sorry sorry okay. about that no worries no worries okay um so, um, yeah. So, so what happened was that you, uh, what you, what you're getting is uh, the dollar yen to run away, um, and that's causing massive problems for Japan, who ex imports everything. Um, and so, you know, just go goods are just getting very, very expensive. Energy is getting expensive. It's, right. it's almost in like a Europe sort of situation. Not nearly as bad, but still pretty, pretty bad, right? And, right. Um, and oil, you're paying for oil. It's priced in dollars and you're paying for it in yen. Commodities, and, raw materials, like, yeah. you know, like basically everything, right? And uh, everything that, you know, like a developed society needs. And so when, and when that happens too, um, and, and by the way, it's not, it doesn't really help the exporters as, as sort of conventional wisdom uh, thinks because of a lot of offshoring that's been happening. And there's a lot of like, you know, the, the correlation between dollar yen and like the Nikkei index, for example, that's, that's like not a thing anymore either. Um, so what what the so the problem the the problem was that the Bank of Japan uh, was sort of the culprit behind this yen getting destroyed because they were just keeping very steadfast on holding rates down and therefore having that yield spread widen uh, against um, other sort of DM yields and uh, the Ministry of Finance, which is the body that makes the decisions to uh, intervene in foreign exchange markets. Um, and by the way, Governor Kuroda, uh, before he started his career and spent the first four decades of his career at the Ministry of Finance, and he actually was in the department as the top currency official. So he has that background. So he knows basically what's going on. So he's like um, the reverse Janet Yellen. Janet Yellen was at the Fed, then moved to the Treasury. 
yeah. Kuroda was at the Ministry of Finance, then moved to the Bank of Japan, Central Bank of Japan. And and and, and it's important to note that though, because um, when people say like the Bank of Japan uh, had intervened in uh, the uh, the foreign exchange markets. That technically is true, but that's not really what's going on. It's the Ministry of Finance. It's the, the Treasury Department, if you will. It's the government that makes that decision. Uh, the International Affairs Department, because foreign exchange is an international affair. There's a counterparty. You can't just sell the yen or buy yen. There's a USD component to it or a GBP comp- component to it. You have to coordinate with that other side. Um, and so that's, that's what's re- required of it. But essentially, when when you do a uh, you know an FX intervention, you and uh, Treasury Secretary Yellen d- both sit down. You decide like this is what we're going to do, and then they make the decisions, and then their respective central banks just execute the order itself. They're they're just like the executing brokers. So when people say like BOJ bought um, or sold U.S. dollars or or bought yen or whatever it was, yes, they technically did that in action, but they weren't the decision makers to do it. FX is not in their remit. And frankly, as you can see, uh, the Bank of Japan does not care about the yen uh, relative to caring about JGBs, hence the yen getting destroyed uh, at the expense of supporting JGB market. Right, right. Thank you. And and Wesson, just in the so you, the U.S., you know, we have officially central bank independence. The Federal Reserve is has its mandates, its dual mandate, and it is going to prioritize that. And it does not list, it's not responsible to Congress, to the president. You know, yes, former President Donald Trump may tweet that Jay Powell needs to cut interest rates, or, you know, Elizabeth Warren might write an open letter to uh, Jerome Powell or something. But, you know, officially we have central bank independence. Can you, what is the state of central bank independence in Japan? And perhaps can you talk about Abenomics? Yeah. Um, Abenomics was launched in 2013, um, but 2012, in November 2012, is really when it was, let's say, kicked off. Because uh, that was in November 2012, Abe was trying to return as, um, so he was previously prime minister. He had to leave uh, after like a year, and then this was his big return back. And he, when he came back, he campaigned heavily on this one policy initiative called Abenomics. That consisted of three arrows. And in reverse, those three arrows are number three was structural reform, basically get rid of all the stupid things that make, you know, very idiosyncratic, stupid Japanese things and bureaucracy and red tape and all that kind of stuff, uh, amongst many other things, too. Um, then there's arrow two, which is fiscal um, stimulus. And then arrow one to spearhead all of this was aggressive monetary easing. This is like a, a guy this is a prime minister who is openly campaigning on money QE. printing on qe <laughs> as, as it's like what are your period. policies you know mr you know whoever qe <laughs> but but, but uh, he he campaigned on it and he pointed at like and this guy kuroda who has been very critical about a very timid bank of japan and that much more needs to be done and that the Bank of Japan should be buying anything and everything. Should be buying REIT. Should be buying equities directly. Should be buying the, the JGB market. Everything, right? Um, this uh, this sort of sh- uh, super aggressive policy is what's needed to shake Japan out of decades of this deflationary mindset. Uh, and that's what Abe ran on. That's what Abe won on. So when you hear someone like Governor Kuroda talk about, or Finance Minister Suzuki talk about, like. 
uh, FX is not in my remit. I don't look at that, or like, we, or or we are not monetizing the debt, even though Japan continuously spends, and Japan, and the Bank of Japan owns half of the JGB market. Um, and right. and Wes, have, didn't you say in some cases uh, the Bank of Japan owns more than a hundred percent of some issues? How is that possible? Yeah, recently, yeah, yeah, that's become an issue too. So, so the Bank of Japan has been. O- Bank of Japan is the only player in the market um, on some days. Like there are no trades um, that that happen. This used to be the JGB market. By the way, used to be the second largest and most liquid uh, for uh, sovereign debt market, second only to the United States Treasury market. Now it basically trades like a you know mid cap like illiquid stock with a never ending share buyback program. At yeah, set, set at the, like, I know it, the the it's large. It's still large. It's just very illiquid. <laughs> Right, it's not. It's, it's still large. It's 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 the the size of the market is you know it's it's one quadrillion yen. Um, but yeah, um, but essentially, the the that owning the more than one hundred percent thing is that so Bank of Japan owns half of outstanding debt, but then within like each issue, so like let's say issue number three fifty six of uh, the ten year JGB that was issued whatever ago. Um, if that is the um, the issue that they're 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 targeting to buy, um, and they end up owning eighty percent of an issue or ninety percent of an issue or a hundred percent of an issue, like the entire thing, then they, that's the entire you know that that's the entire source of supply of that. But then they could also own more because uh, when you own the entire issue, and then you know if there's a short sort like like a yeah. You can uh, lend it out. You can, if I wanted to short sell it, you, you're the Bank of Japan. I want to. You know, I'm some quote unquote smart Western hedge fund manager who wants to short the Japanese government bond. You lend me the bond, and then I sell it to you back. So that's how you own more than 100. percent Yeah, and you uh, buy and so, it back so, for me. So, so there, so there's that. But at the end of the day, look, uh, what makes Japan different in terms of its QE is the, just the sheer scale of it, right? So first of all, uh, the government, the Bank of Japan balance sheet is 120% of debt to uh, 120% of GDP uh, is the size of the uh, Bank of Japan balance sheet. Um, that's because of buying aggressively, you know, half of debt outstanding. The next runner up, just to put things in context, is the ECB at uh, like a little bit less than half, about 60% of that. So the next runner up, they're, they're more than double the next runner up, which is the ECB. Um, so they're, they're, their QE program is massive relative to the size of their economy. Um, in addition to that, the Bank of Japan uh, has not only, you know, owned this, this like the, the, the debt market, their debt market, um, but they're controlling the prices on, on the other, um, you know, free-floating uh, tradable uh, securities that are out there. And that's how you're able to have the most indebted country to 250% debt to GDP, far more than like, you know, little Greece that was about to blow up Europe, um, that's able to borrow for 10 years out at a quarter of a percent, which is 400 basis points or so less than the United States government could borrow for like eight weeks out. So if you're, uh, you know, the economic conditions within Japan are dis- highly disinflationary, deflationary, and that's not a good environment for citizens to, to grow. But if you're a bureaucrat you and you want to spend a lot of money borrowing uh, – trillions of yen at a quarter of a percent for 10 years, 20 years duration. I, if I were a Japanese bureaucrat, I get pretty excited about that. 
Well, the thing is that it's not like they, they want you. They have to. They have to. The, there's, so the Japan, you know, the, the, the demographics um, are such that and the sort of immigration policy or lack thereof is such that the, like Japan, you are not going to get paid your principal. Japan is going to default on its debt. There's no way to pay back this amount of debt. Um, so they have to keep doing this. You know, the, the, the population is extremely elderly. They are not uh, contributing to the tax base. They, instead, they are quite the opposite. They are an expense to the government, and that's only growing and growing and growing. Um, and so the government has to keep borrowing just the services that, uh, let alone its obligations. Um, and, and so this is not something that politicians are like, uh, pork barrel spending or whatever it is. This is just to maintain, I don't know, and operate as, uh, you know, as, as a country. Got uh, it. Wesson, Wesson, sorry to interrupt, but just to get back to the point. So why did Kuroda, he's held out for all these years of yep. zero, 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 zero. Why did he suddenly raise the band to now 50 basis points? And granted, the target is still at zero. It's just the, the band has widened from 25 basis points to 50 basis points, just to be clear. What, what's yeah, changed? So- so, so, um, so this is actually not the first time, um, because like I said, the, the, the first sort of uh, cap that was established um, was not an official one. It's just where they first did their first fixed rate operation or they stepped into uh, offer to buy unlimited. And that happened to be at 10 basis points. And so the market assumed, okay, now we're at plus minus 10, um, plus minus 10 basis points is the range. Um, I, I've sat in three BOJ, like uh, kind of like private meetings with clients when I was on the uh, sell side and all three of them independently said that they're like market just kind of just assumed this to be the case uh, but then they the bigger japan top up to that so it was originally 10 basis points um plus or minus that got widened out to 20 basis points uh in 2018 because they could not hold the yield at that so-called impenetrable uh ceiling and then recently that now got uh widened out to 25 basis points so it's not the first time that they've, they've done this but at this 25 basis points, now this is actually in policy writing. Now this is sort of official. We And uh, as of April 20th of this year, they basically said, we are going to conduct fixed rate operations. In other words, uh, offer to buy 10 limit, uh, 10 year JGBs at unlimited size at 25 basis points every single business day, essentially forever. Um, and that's just how, like, instead of uh, kind of announcing it day to day as markets call for it and market conditions call for it, it's just going to be that forever. And so don't mess with us. Um, we are serious about this. And then in June, you saw an, an enormous amount of, um, you know, short selling, uh, an attempt to like kind of bank of England, um, this, the situation and try to break the bank of Japan. Um, and widows were made um, because the Bank of Japan just brought down the hammer and they uh, held firm on 25 basis points. And so kind of that, that kind of backed people off and they realized like, okay, don't fight the central bank, especially one that's this desperate, especially one that has a, a printing press that they are not trying to use. Um, and, you know, now we're towards the end of Kuroda's uh, term. And then suddenly he, uh, like out of nowhere, they, they widened the band. And that was a massive, massive shock. Now, the from when, from what, from 10 to 20? So 25 base points is now 50 base points. Oh, okay. yeah. So this, this happened yesterday yeah. in Japan, even though right now, yeah, for you, it's the 21st in, in Tokyo. For us, it's still the 20th in America. Yeah, yeah. so less than 24 hours ago, right? So, yeah, yeah. so that, was, that was a shock. Now, the reason that they, they said this, um, and this is, the, this is sort of the disconnect, right? Um, the reason that the Bank of Japan did this, according to the Bank of Japan, has nothing to do with CPI or inflation or anything like that. It, and it's for the purposes of 
financial stability and of sort of like, you know, like getting the yield curve to, to smoothen out and more like normalize because they've done so much buying concentrated specifically at the 10 year tenor um, such that they own more than 100% of some issues, but also su such that you have seven year JGBs, eight year JGBs, nine year JGB yields that are not only yielding above the 10, but they're above what the yield curve control limit was. Um, because they're not, that's not the, you know, that's not the target um, right. uh, tenor. And, and sorry, so Weston, is, uh, is the yield curve control officially only on the 10 year? Yeah. Okay. That's what now it is. And right. Um, so, and the, so the 30 year trades at like 1.5% or something, right? So, so the JGB yield curve basically looks like this. Like if this is the front end, it's like, you know, like this two year, three year, five years here, 10 year, 20 year, 30 year and 40 year. Yeah, it's okay. just like, it just goes, goes crazy. So, um, so, so clearly it's just, it's being suppressed. So, but, but the, the reason they're saying it is, is this is for financial stability sake. Uh, this is for the sake of, um, you know, there's just been a lot of like kind of turmoil. There's a lot of dysfunction and they're, they, they take like this bond market survey um, in which they, they survey actual JGB market participants, like about 80 or so of dealers and of asset managers, people who are actually buying and selling JGBs. Um, and they ask them like for feedback and they're actually very transparent, open about this. And there's like a kind of an index and they show, I, I actually have like a, like I made like a gif of this um, on my Twitter, but the bond market um, conditions and functionality has sharply deteriorated um, in the last few months. And so I think that, so, so what, they're, what they're doing, there's the urgency of, of them doing this was because of um, this dysfunction that's happening in credit markets and in the, in the sovereign market and, um, and, and collateral issues and all, the, all of these sort of like, like issues that are happening at a, a mechanical and technical level, but they have nothing to do with CPI. Like it was Japan with a three handle CPI um, is not going to cause the Bank of Japan to pivot after ha half a decade of buying uh, you know, half a quadrillion yen worth of JGBs just to pivot on like a, a three-handle print on course uh, CPI in Japan. That's not how it, how it works. So this truly is like for financial stability's sake in the same or similar manner that the Bank of England in October of this year had to step in and do temporary yield curve control in which they were offering to bid for an unlimited amount of the long end of the guilt curve at the same time that they were sort of hiking rates. That was that was a clear non-QE, QE. This is not for stimulus. We are on a inflation fighting rate hiking path. We are doing this because there is uh, an immediate, you know, emergency measure that needs to be mitigated. Like otherwise the pension system is going to be destroyed in, in, in the UK and that's what they did. And so that's a similar thing that J the Bank of Japan is, is doing right now. And unfortunately that communication is impossible to get across, especially when you have uh, market participants who are just looking at the Bank of Japan as the only central bank left who is still easing, they're gonna have to do it, they're gonna have to crack, they're gonna have to you know, buckle under the pressure of markets, of their rising you know, uh, inflation and all that, and they're going to have to fall in line with the rest of the world and high grades. And simply, uh, it's, that's simply not, not the case. Um, okay. And right. this is also why they did the additional buying of JGBs to offset that, right? They are making it very clear, like we are not removing a comedy of policy, we're easing, we're easing, we're easing. 
Uh, we're not even at the thinking about thinking about, you know, hiking sort of thing. So much so that we're even increasing our, you know, JGB buying meaninglessly. Um, but um, th that's, you know, so so if you think about it in the context of CPI and like sort of the, the way that the Fed or the, the ECB would, then it's like, you know, doesn't make much sense. But if you actually look at what they're doing and look at the data and what they're saying and just assume that central banks don't always lie, um, then it makes perfect sense. This is what they're doing. So this is what the, this is what, what's behind this, this rate hike. Um, and, and the, the kind of the, the bigger, the bigger problem that I foresee and the bigger risk that I foresee here is that JGBs have been the safe haven amongst the global DM sovereign rate market, right? You can't own us treasuries, uh, or if you did, you know, this year you'd be destroyed. What do you get? You know, you can't own Italian BTPs. You can't own UK guilds. You can't own any of this stuff. Why can't but you own treasuries? If you like losing money, then oh, oh yeah, because because the interest rate risk, you've lost money. But yeah, how much money? So if I'm a let's say I'm a Swedish investor, okay, and I put half of my money into the ten-year Treasury and half of my money into the ten-year Japanese government bond. I start on January first and I go until two days ago, okay. Obviously, I'm going to lose a lot of money uh, on. So I'm just going to look at IEF, which is a ticker for the ten year, seven to ten year Treasury bond ETF. It's not perfect. Uh, never said it was. Um, so that year to date, let me see, is down fourteen point seven seven percent. Whereas uh, JPY USD or USD JPY that is down. Let's see, eleven percent. But it was down twenty one percent. Wow, it, it's been a pretty vicious rally. So. Yeah. So there was a time, Weston, where you lost more money buying a JGB, even though the interest rate didn't move or the, the yield didn't move, uh, you, you lost it in currency terms. But now yeah. the the my half as a Swedish, invest, Swedish investor, my J, JGB portion is actually down less because the currency has rallied back. Well, so but but like for, let's say forget about forget about like 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 the um the currency effect. Just just simply based on the bond price itself or the yield not spiking, right? Everywhere around the world, yields are shooting up and so therefore bond prices are falling. So your mark to market, you're, you have unrealized losses on your on your mark to mark like a portfolio of, of bonds, no matter what they are, except for JGBs because there is an explicit central bank put. The Bank of Japan are, is saying, we will buy an unlimited amount of JGB 10s at this price, and we are going to, you know, at, come hell or high water, th like that's that's where like the the floor is, and we will maintain. Right, that. but Weston, as a Swedish investor, uh, you know, I, I care about things in Swedish krona terms, you know, and I so I haven't lost any money in Japanese yen terms, but the yen has collapsed this year. Collapse may be too dramatic of a word, but uh, you know, foreign investors who are everyone, everyone who's not you know, a Japanese investor is thinking about things in non JPY terms. Yeah, no. So, but, so, but what I'm, what I'm saying for the, for the purposes of this example, right. Is that, uh, is, is Japanese or Japanese investors because Japanese investors are massive capital allocators in fixed income globally. And obviously at home as well. And they're massive uh, holders of us treasuries or were um, until we started sure. this year. Um, and, and, and so it, so like my, but my, my point is that, um, so JGBs are the safe haven, right? Because they're the one, they're the only like one with an explicit central bank uh, floor, um, and you're kind of 
you know, more or less flat, I suppose. Um, I mean, the, not year to date because JDB yields were at around zero to start, but nonetheless, um, you're kind of getting saved by the Bank of Japan. And you're getting saved because you have this like guarantee, right? This, this central bank put. And there are risk models, and there are sort of a, lo- a lot of systems that are that are that have this assumption that JGB tens are, you know, capped uh, yields are capped and prices are, and then and that this is kind of like a guarantee. And then it, so if you remove that guarantee, that's going to cause cross asset mayhem in and of itself. And so the risk is that um, that I see that spillover risk. The, the, the why should you care part right about all this is not necessarily uh, the what people are talking about in terms of um, repatriation of you know the Japanese uh, asset managers and institutions who have massive size foreign you know bond holdings and all that Japan has the largest net in, uh, investment net income net investment uh, international investment position which means that Japan has you know de- deploys more capital overseas than anyone else um, on a net basis, um, and so what happens when they kind of pull all that back now that there's a yield back at home that they don't have mm-hmm. to worry about FX risk for? All of that, like yeah, that might that it might be of concern, um, but that doesn't really happen sort of like in a, on an overnight sort of basis. And they've already done a lot of that anyway. They've already sold down you know record amount of treasuries um, year to date as it is. The problem, though, is more, again, more of this sort of mechanical, technical uh, issue in which you can see a situation where if JGB yields make a sudden spike up and double as they have, you know, uh, on something like this, um, and that happens to coincide with current uh, um, conditions in the U.S. Treasury market of illiquidity and volatility, and both of them kind of exacerbate one another, and then you have this kind of catalyst that could potentially trigger a bomb in the long end of the U.S. Treasury curve in which you might find yourself one day seeing the U.S. Treasury, uh, the long end of the U.S. Treasury curve doing what the U.K. guilt curve did back in October. And then if that is the case, then you might actually see the Fed have to step in and directly start buying U.S. Treasuries at the long end. Uh, at an unlimited offer, you know, uh, bid, and if that also coincides with a still rate hiking path, then Chair Powell has to somehow convince markets this is not a pivot. This is a non-QE QE. This is not for stimulus or anything like that. This is for financial market stability purposes. We are still on a rate hiking path. We still have inflation and all that, um, and that seems like an impossible task to do. But that's a real risk that could happen. Um, and if that should that happen, it's going to be a messaging um, task. And I got to tip my hat to Governor Bailey of Bank of England for being able to do what he did to do a truly temporary two-week uh, unlimited bond buying, Q, you know, QE, and then go right back to hiking rates um, and made it explicitly clear this is just to stabilize the system. There's nothing else but, but that is just kind of technical and mechanical. Um, but you're seeing the problems that the, the Bank of Japan is trying to, you know, convey that message from overnight. And so that could happen in any market, and that could certainly happen in the U.S. Treasury market. And that could happen because of a trigger from something like the JGB market's floor getting pulled out from underneath it. So Japanese yields are higher. Japanese 
investors who have capital abroad draw it into the country to invest within the JGB market, selling treasuries, and that forces U.S. yields higher. Uh, yeah, what would you see as the sort of vicious cycle? Because within there has to be sort of like a, a, a negative feedback loop, as in the case of U.K. and uh, liability-driven investment. The more interest rates went up, your bond yields went up, the more they had to sell. Do you see those dynamics within the U.S. system? So you mean at the rapid pace that it was happening, like you know, right. like a hundred basis points in a in in one week type of thing? Yeah, like well, let's you- say so all these Japanese investors they sell uh, treasuries. The ten year goes you know back to four point five zero percent. I could see yeah. that happening, but then the story's over. Like, what causes it to go from four point five percent to five points for five point five percent? You know. Like overnight, this is what you're saying, right? Because look, year to date, that's what's been happening. Like Japanese, um, at for you know, uh, bond uh, fixed income allocators who have been typically the reliable source of uh, the you know the the marginal bid for U.S. Treasuries, um, they are not only absent, but they were a- actively selling their U.S. Treasury holdings because of FX astronomically high FX hedging costs. That would eat away at the nominal yield spread premium. You know they're spending three percent to hedge FX, uh, and they're getting a three point two percent yield spread, so it's not worth it, right? So wait, so Weston, um, just to be careful, even though on a nominal basis you take a chart of let's say the ten-year Treasury minus the ten-year JGB yield, even though yeah. that spread right now is you know extremely it's gonna, wide, it's gonna be whatever the U.S. Treasury yield is. Yeah, right, right. Uh, even though that spread now is extremely wide, you're saying that. Is actually not a good deal for Japanese investors because they have to hedge the FX risks and the volatility is so extreme that, like back in you know back in 2019 when yields were you know lower than they were now in the U.S., it actually was a better deal for Japanese investors than it was now. That's why investors have been dumping foreign Japanese investors have been dumping treasuries. Yeah, um, if you're if you're hedging, yeah, but like uh, if you just if you pull up, there's two tickers. Pull up EWJ and DXJ. Those are uh, two um, Japan. Sort of broad-based Japan large-cap uh, ETFs in the U.S., but one is currency hedged and one is not, and you'll see there's a massive difference in the performance. And it's not because of the makeup of the components of the uh, index; it's because one is currency hedged and one is not. Um, so actually, if you went long, if you went, if you're J- JPY-based investor and you went long U.S. assets, okay, if you went long SPX, you went long. You know, IEF type of thing, yeah, like, yeah, uh, yeah. like a ten-year treasury. If you went long gold, and if S-H-Y. you went long, yeah, SHY, right? And if you did that, right, your portfolio it looks fantastic. Okay, so right. I actually like had had a chart of the, this comparison, right? Um, but like the the equivalent tickers for like SHY is um, two six two zero Japan, two six two zero Japan. IEF is one six five six. Okay. Um, gold is the, the GLD of Japan is one five four zero, and the S and P ETF um, in yen is one six five five. If wow. you look at those, you are up. You are up fifteen percent at on the front end uh, on the short dated U.S. Treasury ETF. You're up, you know, uh, a similar amount in um, in gold, and then you're up basically kind of up a single digit percentage in um, the ten year U.S. Treasury currency unhedged, like out of Japan, and and on SPX, you're flat on the year, you know. I mean, That's so 
and and so so that and that's if you just if you're if you're long currency on hedge. So people so there are you know investors in Japan that are deploying capital overseas that are not that are saying like I'm not gonna uh, fine I won't hedge uh, with this astronomical price. And good thing I didn't because look at the re- amazing returns that I'm getting. And so there are so many people around Japan like are just like institutional and retail that think that like thank God for my US my USD portfolio is awesome. Right. And that is not something that you hear of. All you hear about is just doom and gloom. And this is the worst sentiment ever. No, 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 not necessarily. That's not the case for uh, the JPY investor who is right. a and, you know, and, and a company, you know, Uniqlo, their input costs are in Japanese yen. And I know they sell a lot in China, but you know, if, some, if I'm buying it in US dollars, it's a pretty good deal. You make something with a cheap currency and you sell it in an expensive currency. And, and there's also this perception in Japan where grass is always greener on the American side. And so, like everything that's bearish, like that people would think of, like any bearish scenario, Taiwan is going to be this, and there Russia, whatever, whatever it is, it always kind of leads back to. So I guess got to be long SPX. <laughs> you know, it's like it's a totally different like yeah. mindset and world here. Um, you know, so um, the SPX, the long USD assets portfolio from Japan has been fantastic. So, Weston, uh, what you're saying is that. Japanese investors like the milkshake. They like the dollar milkshake. I don't think that they know what a milkshake is, <laughs> let alone the dollar milkshake theory or Brent Johnson. Yeah, um, yeah. But they like what they see, I guess. Um, yeah, yeah, that's but, that's what I meant. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But now the problem is, here's another, here's another problem though. So if they're long these assets, uh, currency unhedged. If they're long USD assets, currency unhedged. If they're long single stocks and and stuff like that, Tesla, whatever, and they can buy fractional shares of that too from Japan brokerage accounts. Um, and they're up uh, on the year thanks, and it's all thanks to um, you know the the yen depreciation. If you now start getting a sell off in SPX, right? At the same time, uh, the rapid appreciation in the yen. Um, you're gonna see those like USD, my long USD assets yeah, portfolio is amazing. It's gonna get just trash. start to liquidate them, yeah. And there's gonna be a wave of selling that people didn't know uh, had existed. Um, and yeah. that can come very rapidly. So. It, the, the stock, the asset is crashing, and the currency it's denominated in is also crashing relative to the home currency, which in this case would be the yen. So, Weston, I, I uh, would love to go longer, but we, we got to get this out real quick. What do you think are the knock-on effects to other assets? So you said. Uh, U.S. There's a chance, you know, maybe it's not your base case, but there's a chance that there's a sort of doom loop scenario or, or, or uh, crisis on the long end of the U.S. Treasury yield curve. So that's bonds. What about stocks, uh, commodities at all, crypto? If you're up for it, what do you think? Uh, sure. So, um, so it's very t- tough to like to say because it's it's too too early i would think that it would be more bearish for stocks but then i thought like you know when when this this rate hike thing happened um but uh you know e-minis like yeah, nasdaq futures fell like two percent but then they recovered yeah. um but then i thought about it and i just realized that like the nasdaq has been down for like six percent in the last four days and leading into this as well and and year to date and so True. um that, that getting beaten up because of a rate um like global surging rate environment a uh, yield environment um that's already kind of taken place so a lot of that's like already done with and now it could happen further um but again it goes back to that illiquidity and uh, volatility within the u.s treasury market thing that risk is very real and and can loom 
Um, and then the other th the kind of knock-on effect in terms of asset classes, I mean, you know, there aren't really much that's priced in JPY, everything else priced in, in USD. But if there's a massive short squeeze on the yen, that can also trigger a short squeeze on the other, you know, major currencies and uh, pairs against uh, DXY. And you can start seeing, uh, you know, a, a, a dollar, um, you know, a, a dollar pull down, um, which you could argue that would be, you know, positive for uh, certain risk assets or certain commodities um, and all that. But it, in a one sort of like kind of spillover effect that, or, or, or con not contagious effect, what uh, contagion effect actually would be. Um, so Japan is very underweight uh, U.S. treasuries. However, they have been net buyers of U.S. credit and CLOs and like really crappy credit and bank loans, stuff like that, too. Um, and so you have to mm. really watch that space, the dark sort of seedy corners of credit, of U.S. credit. And, Weston, and what is that one bank that loves CLOs? Like, just they can't get enough. Yeah, so you, uh, you mean uh, Nochirun Bank? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's like the agricultural. Um, they're they're like the C. They're like the CLO um, dumpster. Um, that that like anyone who wants, that, like they're always bid for. Like, yeah, sure, we'll we'll buy that off you, right? But um, this is here's a this is like a scenario that is like. This this is this is a potential sort of actual scary scenario, right? Is that if Japan actually does um, undergo a, a serious round of sustained inflation, that is not an environment that not only the Japanese know how to behave in, but that the world wouldn't know how to behave in. Um, Japanese uh, ha have like more than half of household assets in cash, um, and so. They are just hoarding cash, and they're they just been used to an environment where prices don't go up and they only go down, and they could just buy whatever, whenever, and they don't they, ne they never have FOMO of anything. They don't ever have uh, like like you know electronic goods FOMO or whatever it is, right? But if that starts happening, like who knows what that kind of herd behavior is going to be like because we've never seen that before in Japan. And then you're going to start to get a whole slew of weird supply chain disruptions once again because of this massive demand um like fomo that could take over um japan and japan could be this like massive like consumer driven sort of force of for 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 global goods for raw materials and for finished goods and all that as well and and uh and and that can sort of um put a you know a, a like a like a what is it like a problem for you know uh, like the powells of the world and the 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 Lagards of the world as well um just as they think that their kind of inflation is happening and then the problem with that too is that because japan's uh, households are so cash rich they're not credit dependent if the bank of japan actually starts to use traditional policy tools and like you know uh hike rates and make it more expensive to the, the price of money to become more expensive it's not going to really do anything because japan doesn't need to borrow to buy stuff they have cash so the policy tools would be out too so that's Wait, like so a, so this scenario of japan is just this like consumer kingpin is that is that because the yen would be so strong because uh the yen would appreciate or no 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 i, I mean i mean like if there is an actual like inflation like true actual inflation um not like a transitory thing like a, but a like a multi-year sort of like getting out of hand everything costs you know everything you know going up um 
and people acting, people kind of snapping out of this mentality of this global group thing mentality of like prices are all the same, like going to stay the same and like, crap, I need to, I need to purchase XYZ because I'm seeing prices going up every single day. And that, you know, that kind of uh, cost push inflation uh, driven, if that happens, and I don't think that that's, you know, I don't think that's, that's going to take a lot to happen, but if it does, it can happen like kind of on an instant and the world is not going to know how to handle that or behave uh, in, in that s- sort of scenario. Um, because Japan has been absent from like the, you know, contributing to the consumer driven growth of the econ- of the global economy for better part of, you know, many decades. Um, and what happens when that enters, right? So, um, so that's something that uh, we look at, look at it as a horrendous risk. Uh, in the meantime, look at Japan's rate hike as not a sort of mitigation tool for a three handle on core CPI in Japan, but look at it as what are what is Bank of Japan urgently doing right now? This is this this is alarm bells. This is scary. And then also look at the illiquidity in the U.S. Treasury market um, that could potentially trigger a U.K. Uh, and Bank of England guilt sort of moment, um, but much worse. Wow. Well, let's let's hope that doesn't happen. Weston, it's been great getting a chance to hear your views. Uh, as I rather foolishly and clumsily said at the beginning of this interview, you are an expert in, in Japanese finance. Uh, no, but you do know a lot about the Bank of Japan and... Um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry that uh, you're cut out uh, because we want to prioritize filming this and getting this out as soon as possible. We're going to like just keep everything in. Um, so for you know, <laughs> our, our audience, my audience, you often on Twitter says, how come this interview is delayed? It's, it's so that we can ensure the production process. This, we are listening to the audience and just prioritizing speed above all else. Uh, in the same way, the Bank of Japan prioritizes low yields above all else, perhaps you could say. Um, Weston, yeah. it's been an absolute pleasure. People can find you on Twitter at Across the Spread. Uh, what What is your, your final words for the audience? I was, I was going to say, so like the proof of what you were just saying is the, like my, my phone going off. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there we go. We're, we're keeping it in. We're keeping it in. All right. Thank you everyone for watching. And uh, let us know in the comments if you'd like to hear uh, see more of Weston, because uh, I definitely want to see more of Weston. Thanks.